what what would be like easy advice to figure out how to start successfully using a mouth call well the for me the easiest thing in the way i learned was a you know the key key is one of the easier maybe not a a good key key but to get that that whistle that squeal and then it's just a drop your jaw it's that key yowk you know, and then from there, it's just cadence. If, if you can listen to a turkey's cadence, even if you don't sound good, mm-hmm. if you can listen to a turkey's cadence, that's 80% of it. This segment of DOD TV is brought to you by Leopold, American to the core. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. We are powered by DeerCast. We are. You're Tim Chelsvik. And you are episode number 256. Matt Drury as well. Also Matt Drury. Yeah. Nobody cares about that part. (laughs) Let's be real. Some people care. I did a... Your uh, wife? No, I don't know, actually. that's right. (laughs) My kids, maybe. I got two of those. Depends on what you're bringing home. Daddy's got donuts. It depends if Matt Arndt, producer Matt, makes cookies that I steal <laughs> right. and bring home. I do the same thing. I don't eat a whole lot of the baked goods, but I bring them home. I did a, uh, we, we had a photo shoot this past Monday, two Monday, two Mondays ago now, I think. I'm freaking lost People in don't time. care about that. I can and tell you that. So I, I know that, but here's the story. So we're f- filming all this content and uh, Mark and Taylor just got these new phones, new iPhone 13, blah, uh-huh. blah, whatever they are. I don't know. And they were showing us the cinematic uh, setting on the camera, on the video side, mm-hmm. which was really actually really nice. So I was like, hey, let's set up this shot. I set up a shot and said, let's try this Producer out. Producer Matt. Test it out. In a former life, Tim, mm-hmm. that's actually my degree and background is mass I media. There you go. I thought you were going to Mass media emphasis in production. Oh, sweet. Well, anyway, so we did the shot and uh, I made a Instagram reel out of it and uh, and a bunch of other shots. Mm-hmm. And and so I labeled everybody. What, what it was is walking past, start with Taylor, walk past Terry, walk past okay. Mark, and then it gets to me at the end. You were so in the shot too? I They let me be in it. it hmm. There's a funny story about that. I'm not going to tell it because it makes someone look bad, but uh, <laughs> I was in the first shot. So Congratulations. <laughs> at the, the way I labeled it, you know, Taylor, Stone Cold Killer, Terry, old, old wise, you know, Mark, just absolute death walking. Matt, the way I labeled Matt, it was just the fourth jury. And that's, <laughs> <Yes. laughs> you're like the fifth beetle. <laughs> I, think, I think that's the best way to summarize me, the story, and my general attitude towards hey, life. A train isn't a train unless there's a caboose, right? <laughs> choo choo, mofo. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking turkeys today. We got Matt Van Zeiss. He is a champ. We had to like, we had to write out his accolades. Yeah. So when I, I, I asked you, I said, hey, it'd be great if you could just real quick go go and find out all the things that this guy's won, all the championships, because it's ridiculous. And I, if I, he was a career career criminal, this would be his rap sheet. His rap sheet. <laughs> I had to ask him personally because there's nothing online that like really ties it all together. He told me, also, Tim, don't make eye contact with me. And you refer to me as Mr. Fansize. <laughs> so without further ado, <laughs> let's introduce the man. Matt, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Good, good. We, we definitely do want to walk through just in case people... It's crazy. So my first introduction to Matt would have been, I don't know, how many years ago was it when you were with Mad Calls, you and Billy Argus, and you guys were creating a signature series back then for, for Mad Calls, maybe six, five, six years? Okay, even longer than that. 2011. 11 years. So, you know, 
back then matt had already stormed the circuit both matt and billy were already well accomplished callers and, and they were on the mad calls team back when we were still partnered up with those guys and here's a quick list of the top things that Brilliant. matt has accomplished all right seven time nwtf grand national senior open champion eight-time world open champion three-time u.s open champion four-time nwtf grand national friction champion three-time world friction champion mid-america open champion north american open champion and just all around stud muffin (laughs) (laughs) he's got turkey jeans he's got turkey jeans how the hell can you win that consistently for that long because there's some really talented people out in the in the circuit these days isn't there oh there is it's crazy how good some of these guys are uh as far as being able to win a lot of it comes from winning and then kind of lost my way about 2007 not not lost my way but i moved to a different house and didn't realize what was going on and I wasn't hearing it the same. I thought what I was doing was the same. I started going to contests and I run into guys like Steve Stoltz and some of these other guys and they're like, what did you do to your calling? I didn't think I did anything. You guys are crazy. So it helped me a lot because I had to I had to learn what I was doing before and what I was doing at the time to get back to where I'm at now. So and then, what was that? What was that difference? I mean, I obviously it was some sort of audio issue as you're calling inside your house, but what was the difference specifically? The, the audio issue was it was just dead flat in there and mm-hmm. I wasn't hearing it the same. So I was pushing real, real hard on the call and I was forcing it to do things that it shouldn't do. So with that, and then a combination of actually sitting under the curtain and judging a few contests, I learned a lot about what judges are listening for. Um, today, you know, a lot of guys do just, they just way overdo everything. Mm-hmm. They ask for a call. And I learned a long time ago that if you just do the call, the core call and do it really well, it's hard to beat you. So that was a conversation you and I were having, Matt, about, uh, a turkey calling contest because I'll watch a few every now and again, and I like I'm not I'm just not a great turkey caller, so I I don't know exactly what they're listening for and how they can discern, you know, what's a great what's a nine out of ten, what's a ten out of ten. So what are they listening? It looks like figure skating type of judging to me. I just <laughs> I can't discern it. To a certain extent, it is. It's opinionated, very much so. Um, a guy that wants to be consistently good has got to find a sound that that everybody recognizes mm-hmm. and then just listen to real turkeys and try to sound as much like them as you can as far as you know i know when you listen to a lot of audio stuff there's all kinds of stuff going on but if you pick out a hand and listen to the way she's presenting everything when she she's speaking a language mm-hmm. she's actually talking to another turkey and they're not just making noise and i think that's another difference for me is i i've always approached it that way I approach it as a as I'm trying to say something. I'm trying to portray a message where I think a lot of guys are just making noises. Guilty. <laughs> I'm definitely guilty of making noise. Not even good noises, just noise. And really, like, in my mind, I think I'm just mimicking. I'm not really trying to say anything other than I'm desperate. I'd like to go home. Can can, 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 can you, you please come over here? Come within 30 yards. <laughs> So what, what kind of messaging, like, are, are, are you mentally thinking of what kind of what you're wanting to convey when you're calling? Well, when it's on a stage, you're, you know, they give you a set uh, in the finals, they do a scenario format. So you're, you're basically 
asked to do a conversation between turkeys starting from the time they wake up in the morning and then they fly down and do some different things they ask for so it's just a conversation of what i've heard over the years turkeys calling back and forth to each other Hmm. Um, that's one one scenario is a fall scenario and luckily being from pennsylvania fall turkey hunting was a pretty big tradition here so i've done a lot of that over the years and I think that's a big advantage for me in that we almost always have a false scenario because that's where your key keys and gobbler yelps and things like that come in. So I kind of understand. I don't, I don't know that I always understand what they're saying, but I've heard enough of it that I can piece it all together and make it sound like a real thing. That's a good point. So let's backtrack all of this to pre-turkey calling days. And I mean, how did you get into it? Because, you know, how much time are you spending out in the field to kind of understand mm-hmm. or talk turkey, so to speak? I mean, because that's, that's a long buildup to get to this kind of resume. And there's got to be a lot of time spent in the woods or watching videos or, or whatever the case may be, just learning kind of how turkeys talk to each other. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I started, when I, when I started hunting, you couldn't hunt in Pennsylvania until you were 12. So I didn't hunt, my dad wasn't a turkey hunter. I started when I was 13 and I struggled with it the first few years, couldn't really figure it out. And what I was, I was going in and setting up on a gobble and turkey on a roost and calling as much as I could call to him because he was gobbling at everything I did. And anybody that's done that knows that about the time they fly down, they fly straight away from you and keep walking. They don't, they're not interested when you do that. So it took me a few years to figure that stuff out. But uh, what got me into turkey calling contest was I was at a, a sports show in Erie, Pennsylvania, and I saw a sign for it. And then over the course of the next year, I met a guy that was in the turkey calling contest, had his own call company, and we just we became friends and he helped me out. And then from, from that point, it was just an obsession game over (laughs) so okay fast forwarding now you're for a novice somebody that's just trying to figure out how to run a mouth call because i mean a slate call i mean i think that's a probably where anybody begins right that's an easy beginner's tool whether it's box call or traditional you know glass or whatever so say you're wanting to bump up and be more of a man and start doing a mouth call and doing it uh, to where a turkey actually will respond. I, I have a hard time getting the call to roll over. I mean, mm-hmm. I just, I just have, a, I've always struggled with that. What, what would be like easy advice to figure out how to start successfully using a mouth call? Well, the, for me, the easiest thing in the way I learned was a, you know, the key key is one of the easier, maybe not a, a good key key, but to get that, that whistle, that squeal. And then it's just a drop your jaw. It's that key yowk, you know, and then from there, it's just cadence. If, if you can listen to a turkey's cadence, even if you don't sound good, mm-hmm. if you can listen to a turkey's cadence, that's 80% of it. Just mm-hmm. even if it's absolutely terrible, if you present it in a way that sounds like it could be a hen turkey, likely you're going to be successful. Okay, so how how much calling is too much in that scenario? Because, I mean, I, I guarantee I'm guilty of this where, you know, I think I'm sounding okay on the slate call and you're just running, you know, and you start getting aggressive, you start cutting, mm-hmm. and then it's like, all right, did, I just called for a minute straight. Like, what, what would be, is there a certain kind of cutoff or a certain amount of times that you're doing a, you know, certain sound and then you're like, all right, let it rest for X amount of time now? you talking about actually on a hunting setup? Yeah, in a hunting setup. No, there's not. There's a, every single setup is a different scenario and requires something a little different. Now, 
there's the old rule of thumb that, you know, patience kills more turkeys than, than anything. And that's not really my style. I'm not a patient person. So I, I, uh, like to be fairly aggressive. If I can't make something happen, I'm usually going to try to move towards them and get closer to them and, hmm. and make something happen. It's probably but, why you and Mark get along. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot of the same. I mean, he's real intense when he hunts and it's, it's a lot of the same. So there's not really a set answer in turkey hunting. Everything is as it happens. Then, hey, what's our problem, Tim? (laughs) We don't know what our problems are. That's probably the biggest part of the problem. Matt, what I'm trying to ask you is why do we suck? (laughs) Why are we not so great? What about like, you know, there's been so many times where I've seen bird, like stop calling and it's just silent, silent, silent. And then all of a sudden a bird shows up and you're, you know, just like, what kind of memory do they have? Like, cause they're hearing something there. Like, it's like, they're putting a pin on you, but they're not, they're not running to you. Like they run to Mark. They just kind of eventually mosey over. Like what's going on in their world that causes them to be so sometimes charging in and sometimes just real casually approaching well that what you just mentioned that type of hunting will will kill consistently will kill turkeys for you if you're patient enough but i have a a vision problem in one of my eyes so i like to keep them gobble and i like to keep an idea where they're at because i always am moving you know if i'm on a gun i'm always moving my gun to try to keep track of them Hmm. but as far as what's going on in their world, I don't know. I have no idea what they're thinking at that time. But with some birds, the more they gobble, the, the better their chances of a coyote, a bobcat, or all the uh, different predators out there coming in and trying to get after them. That's an aspect I had not ever considered before. It's a liability for them yeah. to do that. Yeah. It's like, hey, there's a 23-pound dinner here waiting for you. Yeah. Hey, man, shut yeah. up. <laughs> right, you're going to get us killed. You're going to get us killed. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you go back to the calling circuit thing. You know, when you've had this this much experience over, you know, how how long have you been professionally calling? Like how many years now? I started in 96. Holy crap. (laughs) So, I mean, to do it for that long and that successfully, I mean, are you changing up your calling styles? I know you said you had that one period, but do do the judges, I I know from experience with like Mark and Terry, they know, and Steve Stoltz, these guys, and, and I would imagine almost all these judges, they almost know who the caller is. Right. So yes, they do. So so how does that play into it? Do you have to change up the way you sound a little bit or change your, you know, the style in which you call or, you know, or is it just like, Hey, this is me. They know it's me. I just have to perform and I'll win out here. Yeah. Well, it actually can be a hindrance to you because I, I mean, even this year I had judges make comments as, um, you know, I've heard you do something. It wasn't the same as I've heard you do other times, you know, and for me, it's hard for me to hear that because you're not really supposed to be listening for another person. You're supposed to be comparing it to a turkey, but mm-hmm. it is human nature. So, yeah. you know, and I've, I judged a contest, a world championships one time, and a similar thing happened to me. It was a Chris Parrish. He did a call and I didn't like the first one he did. And I scored him real low and his next call he did it. It was a yelp, and it was. I instantly recognized it. And my first thought was, "I, I can't score Christmas like that." And then I'm like, "I shouldn't be judging if I don't. You know, yeah. if I'm not honest with them. I shouldn't be a judge." So I think for the most part, guys are honest in what they do, and 
just have to hope that anyways. I'm sure Chris didn't come up to you afterwards and have a word with you, did no, he? No, <laughs> he didn't mind. Uh. <laughs> what do you think about when people start to use the old sock puppet technique and get their hand going? <laughs> the, the, this deal when they're calling? This? Yeah. Um, we're all guilty of it on the stage, and, and a lot of that is uh, – I'm sure Matt has heard of Danny Golfus and those. Oh, yeah. That's where that came from. That it was a visual aid to picture a picture a hen turkey, and you know, and her the hand is her mouth move, moving. So it's funny to watch some guys do it, and some guys go way faster than what their mouth is going. But it helps them. Hmm. That's what it's all about. Is it's it's just a way to help keep that cadence and and do it the way the turkey does back in the day so mark obviously was a competitive caller for a long time and dad used to dad he's he'll do impressions of anybody anybody and everybody uh. there's i'm sure there's one of you tim and there's <laughs> definitely one of me can't wait to see it and so he used to do an impression of mark calling oh, but he uh, obviously everything was more animated mm-hmm. and it was always very comical <laughs> to, to, to be there in the crowd watching Great. terry do marks <laughs> you know calling techniques yeah. in the back in the day but that's definitely denny golvis if i remember right that was some of the original videos that mark was watching back before jury outdoor started and he came to terry after watching those videos and say i think denny used to call the turkeys in and he was showing vocalizations and stuff like this how to be a better turkey caller and mark's idea was hey terry i think we could do this but let's kill the turkey (laughs) so that's yes that's where it came that's the whole if i if i remember right that's the whole kind of impetus of the company yeah denny golvis you know i've i've heard a you know, I talk to Ray I every now and again, and he's talked about how in the past he would pretty much live with turkeys and just go out, not hunting, but just observe and sit with them. And I'm wondering, Matt, what have you done over? Like, is that part of your process? Did you do that in, during your formative years? Oh yeah, we did the same thing. I mean, I used to have my own camera equipment. We'd go out and uh, try to film roost areas. Um, you know, I'd have a camera in the truck with me. I'm a forester, so I'm, you know, if I'm out on a timber sale and I hear a turkey a hand calling, I was more interested in that than a, than a bird calling because mm. everybody hears that. But you don't really get up close good footage of a hen turkey calling all that often. So, absolutely. I always I had good audio equipment and camera equipment, and uh, I did a lot of that. Spent a lot of time in the woods doing just that. Didn't, Denny's out of PA as well, isn't he? Yes, he is. That's what I yeah. thought. Yeah. Yeah. And he still to this day does not kill him. Uh, and he's he was probably out this morning. He's probably been out for the last two months. That's crazy. Um, he just is obsessed with it. And But he, he made them up an agreement. He said, I think it was in 86, that he promised he would not hurt him anymore if they let him take his picture. <laughs> Since then, he killed one. He killed one with a bow. Wow. He wanted to do that. He has no desire to kill him. We need to get Denny on the podcast. To talk about his bow kill on yeah. turkey? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, Denny's son, this is a, a side fact, I think. Denny's son, doesn't he have like the number one archery buck in PA, the record for that? I, And it's it was on number, public land, I think. It was on public land. It's the number two buck, but it's number one. I, I, I don't, it's the number one with a, it was with a recurve yeah, that geez. he made. This was just um, two years ago, maybe two. Th- it was twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was wow. in North American whitetail and everything. Yeah, that's pretty, cool. Pretty incredible. Yeah. Jeez. Huh. Yeah. 
Got sidetracked. Yeah. I sidetracked us like usual. Talking about archery, turkey hunting. You know, but Denny, like the, the back in the day, those Ray I, you, you talked about fall turkey hunting. Ray I is like the the grandfather of fall turkey hunting. And that's the way I look at it. I mean, Ray is famous for that aspect of, of turkeys, really. He talks about when, when Missouri started the spring season, I think it was back in the 70s, how the old timers thought it was cheating. Like, well, what do you mean you're going to go out and kill a turkey when they're as vulnerable as that? <laughs> And the rest of us are like, finally, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah no kidding, <laughs> we could kill one. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it was. So, Matt, if if someone's interested in starting with competitive calling, what are some of the first steps? Well, you obviously have to learn how to turkey call to a certain extent, but competitive calling will almost always make you a better caller if it's something you're interested in, because mm-hmm. nobody likes to lose. You know, nobody wants to get up there and embarrass themselves. So if it's something they're really interested in, they added, the benefit is you're going to be a better caller when you're done, even if you never win. But the, it's it's as easy as being a member of the National Wild Turkey Federation mm-hmm. and getting online on their website and just finding an event to go to. Hmm. It's that simple. Just go to the event, sign up, and they'll tell you what calls to do, and that's how that's how we all got started. Now, what they don't tell you is how much you're going to piss your wife, girlfriend, anybody, coworkers, anybody in your vicinity. Your household. Because <laughs> how much you're calling. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a, it's crazy obsessed. I mean, it's before Grand Nationals, there was one, one afternoon, evening, I was eight hours running. Whoa. Now, what's that do for your th- throat? Because that's, I mean, that is tough on, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's certain things that you have to go, almost like a singer would have to do warm-ups or whatever to make sure their 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 vocal pipes stay healthy. Like, mm-hmm. what are you doing to make sure you aren't getting sick or strep throat or, you know, those types of things? Well, I mean, other than you've got to have something to drink during that, but that's, that's what that's all for is, uh, you know, the sounds don't change, but you're building up muscle memory in your diaphragm and everything that's pushing the air through. Because when you get up on the stage, uh, especially at Grand Nationals, I'm sure you've been in that room. It's there's three to five thousand people in there sometimes. So you look out across there and it's it's natural to be a little nervous and everything tightens up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that's where all that practice comes in. It just it's you learn how to control your air. Here, I got I got a sound bite. I think I'm gonna throw up. That's the feeling you get when you look no. out and see three thousand people and you're about to turn make some bird noises for y'all. <laughs> Sit back and relax. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, what do you do with your with your uh, diaphragm calls year to like do you will you reuse them year to year or do you just make new ones? Do you clean your old ones? How do you how do you deal with that? For calling contests I do. I I've had some of the same calls for ten years. Hmm. No, I can build, I build new calls like hunting season. They don't last for me. And I like stuff to sound the way I want it. So I usually build new calls once a week in hunting season. Okay. Truthfully, there's nothing wrong with the ones that I'm throwing out, but yeah, you know, I build them. I might build 10 Yelpers and I find one that I really like out of that. The other ones are okay, but I'll run it until I'm not liking it anymore. And then switch to one of the other ones. And then eventually I just go build new ones. What would be one of the easiest cuts for a beginner or a novice, uh, you know, to start trying to use, like, what's an easy call? Because some of them, I, I mean, I only know this from listening to Mark and th- those types of guys talking about it, but some are more difficult to actually mm-hmm. carry a tune, so to speak, with. What's an easy cut to use? I think a ghost cut, which is based off the original, the old V cuts. 
you know, they just pull the, the V part out of the center, but I think a ghost cut because you can still, it's still similar to calling on a straight read because you got that open center, mm-hmm. you know, and then you can put a little air to it and get it more raspy if you want to for a turnover. So the logistics of trying to get the proper sound to come out of this thing, like what kind of, are you pressing your tongue up against the call, you know, in the roof of your mouth or like, how are you getting the air to go through that diaphragm? Yeah, the di- I mean, for, for me, a call sits a little farther back in my mouth than others. So it sets up in the roof of my mouth and I can drop my tongue and it stays there. I can have a conversation with a call in my mouth, mm-hmm. but the call sits up there and then about the center center to the back of my tongue, the way it, the way it arcs, I, you know, the tip of my tongue is down close to the back of my front teeth, my bottom teeth. Mm-hmm. So it pushes up against that and you have to have some sort of pressure between that reed and your tongue in order to, the air has to come through between that to make the noises that you want it to. Everybody right now is going through the motions of putting their tongue down by their teeth. <laughs> and and by, by my friend. Rewinding, <laughs> trying it again, making a call. Do you have any calls next to you there? Yeah, I, I have to get one out here, but yes, I do. It would be it would be cool to for you to kind of showcase what you're talking about there and and maybe tell us like, okay, without a call, this is the sound you would make you know, like you were saying, the Kiki run or whatever, this is what you would do. This is the motion you would go through. And then, all right, here's with the call in making Mm -hmm. the same sounds. So you ask about care of calls while I'm doing this. I, I put uh, toothpicks or just little plastic picks in between each read to keep them separated. Mm. Some guys only open the top read. I have always used all, I, I keep all my reads open just because that's how I build my calls to run. Okay. So to start with, I still use the, I still use this old mad tape. So if you can see it, I, yeah. they left me with a whole bunch of it. So um, for my own personal stuff, I still use it. But anyways, all they left you with. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That is, that is right. Uh, I'll start with that key key that I talked about. Okay. So the call sets up in the roof of the mouth. I don't know if you can see that. All right. Mm-hmm. And your tongue kind of sets right up against it. So for a beginner, I would, I would make a noise similar to this. You learn to do that first. I'm just basically, I'm just pushing. If you just bite your teeth together and try mm-hmm. to say the word key. And then if you just keep that going and drop your jaw, just a key, key yalk is what they always said. And it back 25, 30 years ago was on the back of the packages, but it actually works. Hmm. So to take that a step farther, then you have to put that into some sort of a, a cadence that sounds like a turkey. So you start off with. It's just once you get it, you shorten that up. It's not so dramatic. And I think I may this may have clipped. The audio may have clipped. I, we were hearing it, but all of a sudden it's, it got real low. So just in case the audio version of this isn't as great. Um, we'll, it's the software trying to save everyone's ears. <laughs> yeah, it's the software. It's not Matt calling softly all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, when you talk about cadences, do you think different 
different birds have different cadences? Like, are they, are they really that unique? Well, each bird has got its own voice, just like you and I have your, their own voice. But when we talk about cadence, I think where people miss, they some are faster, some are slower, mm-hmm. but it's the way that they break from each note, from one note to the next. It's a, it's a, uh, I'm going to go back to a Danny Galbus reference. He, if you're familiar with cars, he talks about the lobes on a cam, mm-hmm. the way that they, they roll kind of a long, and it's an elongated, yow, 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 or like a starter on an old, he always said an old Ford, I think. But it's kind of that same rolling motion that it's, it almost stops, but it really doesn't stop. If you watch it, I do, I record myself a lot when I call, mm-hmm. and the recording app that I use has a graph on it. And when I'm doing it the way I want to, or if I'm watching a hand do it, that graph actually never stops. It never comes to a complete stop. It just is a complete, it's a constant wave. Hmm. For, well, it has to come to a stop at some point. That's the question I always have. How long? How much is too much? <laughs> like, how much is too much? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as I sit, you, I, you know, obviously just being in, being in the woods, you're going to come across turkeys, whether it's in the fall during deer season. I, I have a, like, usually I see more turkeys in deer season and more deer and turkey season for some reason. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you sit there and you can hear those vocalizations. And I think to myself, like, well, that hen doesn't sound that great. Like, That's a hunter over there. Maybe I have a chance here. Like, do you find that, you know, sometimes I feel like when I listen to you or Mark or, you know, these guys, Stoltz, the guys that call so well, it's like, damn, that sounds so good. It sounds really good. And then you get into a a situation where you're hearing a live turkey, you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, well, okay. It's, it's not quite as crisp or clean, or there's a little more raspiness to it. Or do you ever find that too? Oh yeah. I mean, they, like I said, with they, they all have their own voice. Um, the big difference is we don't very often hear them up close. And, And some people will still insist that they don't, sometimes they don't sound good, but they're not usually turkey callers because I've never heard one that I didn't like the sound of. But you do hear some that have some funky noises and some they come across in a different way. But that's what makes them so unique. Yeah, huh. maybe that's part of my problem is I'm calling too good. It's just not. It's <laughs> sure. just kind of hit that peak. It's no longer believable. Now calling too loud—that's definitely a thing. Mm. You know, yeah. I, I guess if, going back to a hunting scenario, if you say you you kind of know where one's roosted, you go in there and your approach in the morning. You know, how, are you just because I've hunted more with Terry in the last ten years than say Mark, so I, I I get to see they got totally different styles, and so <clears throat> it seems like Dad has a real soft approach like just kind of let them know you're there and just kind of every once in a while throw the call out and Mm -hmm. see see, you know you may or may not get a response but then it's kind of once they hit the ground that's when things tend to heat up what's your approach when you go out there in the morning you got one roosted you feel like you're pretty close are you going at it kind of a a softer approach or you starting to you get aggressive right out of the gate when they're when they're on the limb still I do enough to let them know I'm there. I want them to respond. I want them to turn and respond to me. So I'm going to do that. And I'm going to, every so often, I'm going to do the, the exact same thing. I'm not going to overcall to him. I'm not going to get real loud. I'm going to do enough to get him to respond to me facing my direction. I want him facing my direction all morning because I want his mind made up that he's going to pitch toward me when he comes down. Uh, but Again, I never really get too aggressive on the limb. I just have learned, I've had bad experience with that. So hmm. 
once they hit the ground, I'm going to feel it out. If it, if I feel that the situation calls for me getting aggressive, then I will. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I, you know, I may have to make a move. I may have to be a little softer and a little more laid back and let him work his way to me. But. It, it, is that situation when you're getting more aggressive that there's hens already there or on the limb with him or, you know, somewhere there near him or, you know, is that when oh, you would get more aggressive? It could be. Yeah. yeah. I mean, t- sometimes, yes, it just, it really does depend on each bird's different. So, yeah. Um, I, I, a couple of years ago, I was on a hunt in Ohio and there was a big gobbler out in a field strutting. There was no hens with him, but he would not break. I moved up to the edge of the field and set up, moved back and was talking to my buddy that I was hunting with, moved back up. He was out there strutting back and forth. And I got him to turn and come towards me a little bit. And two hens come off from my left. He was on my right and walked out to him. And I thought, well, this hunt's over. They walked out there, stood with him a little bit. He gobbled. Finally, he quit. They turned and come walking right down the edge of the woods past me. And he, But he still stayed out there. And when he realized they were gone, then he come running back by. And I actually, I killed him then. But I had to get real aggressive. I threw some fighting furs and things like that in there to get those hens to turn and come my way. Mm. So, yes, in that situation, there was hens. And that's why I had to get aggressive. But he just was... It, it took the visual aid of those hens walking away from him for him to decide to break. What's a f- what, what is a sound that you would make to get a, a hen to come to you versus, you know, like what, what is it? They, what kind of call are you making to have a hen come your way? Well, a lot of times you'd, I would cut at them or do an excited yelp to try to get them, you know, angry, upset with me, aggravated. And they want to come and see, because you're in their turf. It's, they have a pecking order just like everything else. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going to probably cut at them or yelp. Got aggressive it. yelp or cut. Uh, Matt, is gobbler yelping part of your portfolio of tools? Yes. Without a doubt, I use it spring and fall both, but yes. So, so maybe talk a little bit more about that for people who aren't familiar with the concept. Well, it's a uh, – I'm trying to challenge his dominance for one, but it's – you're, you're talking about, it's the same call between a hen and a gobbler. It's still a yelp, but you have a eight pound bird doing it versus a 20 to 23 pound bird doing it. So it's, there's, it's a lot more exaggerated. It's deeper. It's uh, more obnoxious. I guess you could say it's just loud has a bugly tone to it. And it's just deeper and drawn out. Mm-hmm. And, and what are you in, initiating in that bird when you do a gobbler yelp? Like to get that I'm response. trying to challenge his dominance. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. You know, the one call that I have never learned to do well is gobble. Uh, so that's kind of, you know, some guys gobble at him and do well with that. I never, I have to use a shaker tube or something like that for hmm. that. So. All right, I don't know that I've ever heard a gobbler yelp. Like, what's what is it? it I mean, it's just it's gobblers yelp just like just like hens do. They just, it's longer. It's a little deeper. Ray, I is, is, he just says it's death on, on gobblers. No and, kidding. And I think, so I was, I was using my box call last year when I, when I killed my bird and I, my, my one bird, I'm doing my part for conservation here <laughs> yeah, in the state of Missouri. Me too. <laughs> Not taking two, uh, but, I, but I was taking much longer strokes on the box call and that's what he, you're trying. Mm. Good job. And he responded to that. He was walking away previously, and the gobbler yelp seemed to like change his mind about so something. So, so it's a slower, it's just a slower approach to it. Are you, are you pressing down a little more aggressively? I, I'm not. I mean, Matt probably has a 
like the right way of doing it. Yeah, I mean, I can demonstrate. I don't know how well the audio comes across here, but again, they're just, it's the same call. It's just the fact that you have a male bird that's two and a half times the size doing it. Mm -hmm. So. That's the difference. And I mean, you know, hand yelp's just a lot higher pitched and raspier and a lot of times. Yeah, it's clipping for us again. We're getting it, but it's just light. <clears throat> it, it starts out right and then it goes real mm -hmm. soft for us. But yeah. maybe I got an idea. I wonder, do you do you have social social media pages that we can go follow you and maybe hear some of this type of stuff demonstrated? Yeah, I don't really have anything. You know, I don't have anything on there, but I could do some of that stuff. Yeah, it would be definitely helpful. Mossy Oak has a series, Matt, that you did. I'm not yeah. sure how many years ago, but there's a lot of great, they're really short clips, but he goes through. Yeah. And so we can link those up in the show notes. Yeah, I mean, we internally, just in DeerCast, there's a bunch of those clips as well. I mean, from Matt and Billy and Mark and, you know, right. going through all the different styles of, and mm -hmm. sounds you can make. Matt, you said that you're typically running and gunning, so I, I guess you're probably not hunting out of blinds a whole lot, but I am curious about, you know, someone's got a, a pop-up line that's sat out for a lot of the year, and it's been bleached out by the sun. Will a turkey, you know, with their ability to see UV light, like, will that flare them off? Are they spooked by that? Or if it's been there long enough, they don't care? Uh, with a turkey, I don't think they care in mm -hmm. a blind. Um, we... You know, I, my, I still have a blind. I use it. I still use it once in a while. There's certain situations that we've all seen. You get a bird that's flying, pitching down into the middle of a big field, and he's got 15 hens around him, and there's no other way to get to him other than to be there an hour and a half before daylight. Mm -hmm. So I'll still use one, but I've seen – it's an old double bowl from way back, like 2004 or something, mm. and it's uh, bright green camouflage. I mean, it's, you put it in the middle of a, an old hay field, early spring it sticks out like a sore thumb <laughs> and then gullers will walk up and rub against it if the decoy is close enough so it's you know I've, with deer i have not had that kind of luck that yeah some of the deer hunts i've tried to blind on even brushing them in they step out and their heads they throw their head up and turn around and go the other way they want nothing to do with it so I, you brought uh, up a, the, you brought up the decoys that, that was a question i was going to ask you so you know a guy that you know as a, an accomplished caller obviously your your woodsmanship skills are at a, their peak you know you understand how to talk turkey how do you feel about using decoys is it because that's something you see online you know uh, you know it's cheating the decoys are so realistic these days and um, i mean i'll take every advantage i can get obviously but does that make me a shitty hunter well don't answer that that's a hypothetical question but what do you feel about decoys and using decoys to be successful now i i don't use them much in the woods and i hunt a lot in the woods and a lot of that is because i am i'm super aggressive i'm mm -hmm. i might be crawling whatever i got to do to close if i'm hunting a field bird there's an avian x jake decoy in that field in front of me hmm. um a lot of the time that's the only decoy that's even in my truck that is possibly the deadliest decoy that I've ever seen. I've never seen anything work like that thing. Really? So I think it's a great tool. Why I don't understand why people are against it. 
it's it's another tool that we're allowed to use why not utilize it it's the same way with people who give people who archery hunt turkeys a, a bad name. They give them a hard time. Mm, it's like, why, why no, would you even do that? Man, those people deserve it. It's the Tim. exact same scenario. Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, Matt, when it comes to decoy setups, you say that you pretty much take a Jake with you. Cause, yep. And typically it seems like a couple hens and a Jake is the standard. So are, so are you doing something a little different then? And, and why is that? I just, I don't see the need for it. I've not had any bad, I mean, I've had a bird here and there shy away from it, a decoy in general, but for the most part, since I started using that Jake, if they see it, they're coming. Huh. Uh, there's a, there's a time once in a while I'll carry a hen, but most of the time that Jake is the only one in the back of my truck. Are you using that HDR Jake, the newest? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, is it yep. is it the half strut or which which one is it? They have a couple. Yeah, I believe it's a quarter strut. I think. Yeah, quarter strut. Okay, okay, quarter strut. HDR Jake, check. Quarter the strut. only thing Sorry. I did to modify them is those decoys have a replaceable head, mm-hmm. and I used the the normal looking head, not the one that's outstretched, and I glued it in place because they kept knocking the head off it. So I just oh. I took some goop that I used for turkey calls and glued the head in place. They but, tear they tear them up, man. They, well, they don't tear them up, but they go after they're them. They're brutal. Yeah, yeah. They they aggressively get after her. That, that's one of the things where I wish like, if you could get maybe a, a really radical animal rights activist that thinks that nature is kind and sweet and bunnies and rainbows. Watch a bunch of turkeys beat yeah. up a dead turkey. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> It's mean streets out there. They're not yeah. nice critters. Well, in closing, turkeys are jerks. Okay. <laughs> you so did you just you just won the Grand National Senior Championship, didn't you? I did. Yeah. We should have started with that. <clears throat> I lost. Should have. We'll lost, just go back and post and fix it. Lost sight and all the other things that Matt has won. It's got to be hard to go out in public. Not really. <laughs> the well, only place that really makes a difference is in Nashville when there's 40,000 turkey hunters there. Isn't that there. funny how you can be like a god in certain circles and then yeah. you go down to the sicko station and they don't know who you are. They don't care. Well, yeah. we picked an industry that, let's face it, it's quite small. Pretty niche. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Not much wide-ranging people. Dad always says it's like <clears throat> our fan base, it's never, you know – some hot chick or, you know, it's always Johnny Joe's pick <laughs> <A hillbilly>. <laughs> Yeah. I went to Denny Dennis down in old town Fenton here last summer and got noticed by a couple of younger guys. And my buddy, Tony was with me. He's like, wow, what's it like to like, well, I mean, you go into a bait shop or a Bass Pro or something, you might get noticed, but that's about it. It's yeah, not, not a great feeling. Let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> it's doing nothing for this. It flames out pretty quick. <laughs> my head's not, not, not getting big out of that. Um, we should probably welcome some of our Rack Pack members. All right. Yeah. So, you know, every week uh, we list out a bunch of people that joined our Rack Pack in Facebook. So basically, it's a private group over on Facebook. Very private. That, very exclusive. <laughs> that uh, Catalina, Catalina wine, wine mixer. mixer. That's right. Do I have that sound? I don't think so. Uh, but Next basically, time. I read off some names. Tim puts a fake name in there. I got to figure it out on the fly. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and go. Here we go. Garrick. Griffith. Okay. Daryl, 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 Darylton. Daryl, Daryl, Darlington. I, I think that's the fake name. Dustin Packer, Cody Thomas, Sean Anthony, Brad Schumacher, Brian Nugent. I wonder if that's any relation to Ted. Mm. 
I see Toby Nugent is out in there. I think he's Ted's uh, son. Yeah. He's out there, and oh yeah, I think he's commented on some of my stuff, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I was like, wow, to- Toby Toby's a, he's a enthusiast. Obviously, Ted is. Uh, I think Daryl's the fake name, Tim. Garrick Griffith. Griffith is the lie. I, honestly, that was my first instinct, <laughs> Garrick. That's but, not real. But then we got to Daryl, 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 and Tim. <laughs> Triple D, what's up? Okay. <laughs> Moving on. And then over on Apple Podcast, we got a five-star rating from one Mr. Tom Adelman. He, uh, he's actually the owner of Dirt Nap Gear. They make broadheads and other archery accessories. Cool. He actually was the first sponsor of the Thinking Woodsman show. Ah, cool. Way back in the day. So Tom's a great guy. I really I appreciate it. I how you landed one. I think I tricked him. Obviously. <laughs> hey, I'm starting this show. It's going to be big. It's going to be huge. <laughs> he says, fun and informative. I always enjoy this podcast. Tim and Matt are a great duo, and the content is both humorous and informative. Well done, fellas. Hey, if you want to leave a review, go to your podcast, wherever you're listening to podcasts or watching them, and uh, leave us a review. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Only we'll five your house. And thank you, personally. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. All right. Matt, you want to stick around for uh, some of the other shenanigans, or you got a jet? No, I got stuff to do this afternoon, so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Good blame choice. you. <laughs> He's a smart man. All right, well, before you go, where can uh, where can our listeners and viewers find you at? And uh, I know you, you got a line of calls that you make. Where can they uh, get a hold of this stuff at? Uh, they can contact me directly through Facebook or Instagram. Uh, my... Instagram is uh, High Class Calls 2016. You can get a hold of me through that. I don't even have a website yet, so uh, either that or just through email. Uh, Van Slice M at AOL. I still have an AOL call. You've got mail. You never know. <laughs> Things come full circle pretty soon. Yeah. AOL might be a thing again. Do you still yeah. have the, like the? 2000 free minute CD somewhere in your house. <laughs> no, I don't have any of that anymore. <laughs> CD ROM. So, high class calls uh, on Facebook and Instagram. Yep. All right, perfect. Cool. If you want to be a championship caller, check out Mad Van Size. Or if you want to just try to be a champion, try to kill a turkey, actually. <laughs> yeah. Don't listen to us. Listen to Matt. That's right. Matt, we can't uh, thank you enough, man. We appreciate you and uh, good luck this spring. Thanks. You guys, too. All right. Thanks, Thanks, buddy. See ya. All right. See ya. See ya. It's cool to hear someone that is, uh, that eats, lives, and breathes a particular aspect and just the time he spent calling and like spending eight hours practicing calling, even when you're that proficient, that's incredible. Well, you talk, you know, the old saying the 10,000 hours to perfect any one thing. Did you make that up? No. This guy's obviously, he's probably got 50,000. I mean, that's, if you think about it, you say he started uh, professionally calling 96. Yeah. I mean. I was eight years old. That's, that's a lot of time calling. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's no wonder he's at the top of his game. I mean, that's well, incredible. And, and a great reminder that it's not, it's not something like, okay, I figured out calling. I'm going to, I've got that skill down. I'm going to put it down and just pick it up next year during Turkey season. Like it, yeah. these guys just, they can, they constantly do that. Yeah. Incredible. All right. Let's move along here. Question of the let's day, Timmy. Question of the day is probably brought to you by cold steel professional blades for real hunters and us. <laughs> Hey, what kind of advice can you give me in reference to uh, suburban hunting here in the great city of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania? Um, I have a couple of decent spots that have produced a bunch of dough over the year. I'm looking to 
to get a monster buck. Um, I had my opportunity at one some years back, but I blew it because I never moved my pen after practicing from 25 back to 20 yards, and he was at 19, and of course went right over his back. That being said, any advice for suburban hunting in the city of Pittsburgh would be great. Thanks, man. Well, you know, I think uh, Tim is the expert in suburban hunting and the, between the two of us. So. And, and Pittsburgh. Uh, I have been to Pittsburgh. I've heard of it. <laughs> that's, that's about all I got. <laughs> Tim, take it away. Yeah. So uh, be sure to check your regs because there may be statewide regulations for hunting deer, but then they could vary by municipality. There's probably going to be more and different regulations like you could have to be a certain distance from homes in order to, so make sure like you're keeping it legal. And, and, um, and also like I was talking to someone here recently about suburban deer hunting and they were, they were just kind of assuming that it was a slam dunk. Like you get in there and, and yeah, they are a little more habituated to people, but I've found that if they catch a whiff of you and don't see you, that really freaks them out and they're gone. Like if they see a woman pushing a stroller and they catch a whiff, it's not a big deal. Like they're able to put yeah. two and two together, but if they catch a human scent and don't, aren't, aren't able to connect it with someone, they don't like that. You know, and, and he said he's looking for a, a monster buck in suburbia. It, that's a tough, I mean, it, it exists. I mean, I know in St. Louis here, like the Chesterfield area, it's crazy the, the size the, mm-hmm. of deer they have over yeah. there. I mean, a really, really big buck. So obviously it's, it's possible. Hell, Seek One, you know, those producers on YouTube, they've mm-hmm. made a whole series about doing this all over the country. So yeah. obviously it, it can exist now those guys they're knocking on a lot of doors and doing a lot of homework to find a big deer and then trying to get access to hunt that big deer. yeah and that was that was my third point in that like if you're not seeing if you're seeing a bunch of does on the ground that you've got right now it's probably not going to change a whole lot because you're not going to be able to influence a whole lot of what the ground looks like you're not going to be you're probably not going to be able to put in big food plots and do a whole you may not even be able to put out mineral or anything depending on the regs so you may need to find new ground to hunt so use an app like the next door app to like put a word out like hey i'm looking to help thin out some deer let me know if you or someone you know is interested in having someone come and i'll you know give you some some venison if i'm successful but you have to do some networking to to find new ground that's a good point about the app i mean that's an interesting way of course there's apps like on x out there that you can get the plot data and understand mm-hmm. who owns it the name you know that type of stuff cody thurston uh, a couple years back he did a wrote a great piece in deercast yeah. about getting access to suburbia hunting in the kansas city area and utilizing a program like on x to then find out these mailing addresses to send out letters ahead of time mm-hmm. to get access to those pieces yeah. so um, you know, some homework leading into it might be your best bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for me, church has been the best way. And I'm not saying like, Networking. go, yeah, go like, go, go to a it. church <laughs> because you're going to pray for <laughs> utilize all the relationships. <laughs> just to I get took it. it a different direction. <laughs> yeah. Pray I mean, for a big deer to walk in front of you. It doesn't hurt. I mean, I'm not against that. But networking. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Community groups and, 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 and that like people have to have a level of trust. Like if they're going to let you on their ground with a, uh, with a weapon, it's nice if they have some kind of sense of your reputation. If you're going to knock on doors, be prepared for a lot of bad um, encounters. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, there's going to be a lot of non-hunters and there may be several <laughs> vehemently against it. So yeah. be prepared if that's the route you go. Yep. So 
be respectful. Sean's got a great like radio voice. He, he does. Sounds like he could have a. Sounds like a smoker. That's a good. That makes for a good radio voice. And okay. that's not a. That's not a knock on him. Like Maybe. that's a deep raspy. You know, we yeah. had our best. We had a bo guy. His name was Mark Dotson, and he. It was the Bo Madness VO guy for the okay. longest time. And uh, he was the voice of the little character that sat on Jabba the Hutt's. Um, no way. I swear to you. I got a signed. This is a classic. I got a like frog looking yeah, guy. Yeah. I got an eight by 10 of that character that he signed. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's crazy. A small world. He's got all kinds of different voices that he's, he's voiced over the years. He, but, sa- he says Yitcha. Yeah, but this that voice, Sean's voice, reminded me of Mark Dotson. It's a, it's huh. just a good radio Full voice. Full circle. Yeah. So uh, the other takeaway is there you is and I need point. to start smoking. <laughs> oh, I, Maybe that'll you, help the You podcast. don't already? <laughs> I should be taking more trips to flavor country. <laughs> <laughs> Moving along. Let's we don't endorse it. <laughs> we just do it. This is supposed to be a rated G. PG-13. That's right. Yeah, we can get away with smoking. (laughs) (laughs) All right, the wildlife word. It's brought to you by 100 Specialties, exclusive makers of the DOD Signature Series of Turkey Calls. So if you want a mouth call, we got you covered. If you want a friction call, like a box call or a slate call, we got you covered there too. That's right. It's all in the series. The The Signature Series, like right out of the box, this isn't bs like it does sound really good right out of the box mm. now the mouth calls that's on you they, they can sound good <laughs> they have the potential but the box call on the slate call legitimately sounds awesome right out of the box yeah and there are three different mouth calls so four like you've got you could be right i think there's a four pack well even better you go ahead with what you were gonna say there, there are at least three in the package <laughs> so you can mix it up a little bit <laughs> there might be two of one in the four pack i don't know <laughs> Okay, this superpower that wild turkeys possess and humans don't helps them choose a mate and forage for food. Is it A, an uncanny sense for identifying unreasonable in-laws? B, they can hear the passage of time? C, strong electromagnetic receptors in their beaks? Or D, the ability to see ultraviolet light? I wish Matt was still on because this is one of those I'd lean on the guests mm-hmm. and then I'd Swoop be a fast and, follower. Yeah, that sounds good, Matt. That's what um, I was going to choose. As much as I'd like it to be A, an uncanny sense for identifying unreasonable in-laws. Don't we all? Uh, I mean, C sounds pretty awesome. I mean, I know they have the ability to see ultraviolet light, but how the hell does that help them to choose a mate? Forge for food. You asking me or is it rhetorical? <laughs> I'm more I'm <laughs> like spelling bee. Can you spell it for me? I looked no. up to see a reaction. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. D seems like a real thing. C seems like something awesome. But it's yeah, like, like a real superpower. Yeah. Like supernatural. I'm gonna go with D. Okay. Your gut serves you well. Have you seen it? <laughs> Every time you slip out of a shirt, you're like, Ugh. <laughs> it's just serving me so well. I'm sure that's what Miranda thinks. <laughs> you know, honey, I do love lava lamps. This is great. <laughs> just going with my gut. Uh, this is why Matt, after the rack pack part, he's like, yeah, I'm going to go. <laughs> I got stuff to do. I'm good on the rest of this, I guys. I fault the man. <laughs> Turkeys do see ultraviolet light, and birds in general see ultraviolet light. And if you look at their plumage, like their feathers actually look different than they do to us because of the way their their feathers reflect ultraviolet light. I see. 
so they can pick the best mates as a, you know based on the the plumage. And- I wonder if these. I wonder if the avian X, the flock decoys, is that is their ultra. Violet light in the flocked part of the decoy? I don't remember, but I, man, I seem to, don't quote me, but I remember talking, I think Mark and I talked about this and, uh, and I, I think, yes, I think there is a UV coating on there. And I think like that flocking, like that, I think that absorbs light, like when their feathers ruffle. So yeah. I think they've actually considered that I'm not positive, but I think this they have considered that could angle. could be all... Yes. <laughs> Fake news. Somebody, That's people come. somebody look that up. <laughs> we need the boys in the truck to do some research for us. Somebody on the rack pack let us know when this airs. If Tim's wrong, especially if Tim's wrong, let him know. <laughs> They're going to go back and listen to all the past episodes. There's so many lies in this show. <laughs> well, listen, show needs to get flagged. We, we never said we were experts. We said we had experts on. Yeah, we should reclassify into the fiction category. Mm. So... Um, Youth season is coming up. Yep. April 9th and 10th here Taking in the city of Missouri. Yeah. If, if she awesome. wants to go, we talked yeah. about it a little bit. She says she wants to go. Who knows the Friday before she could yeah. decide she wants to do something could else. Could be weather dependent. Very much so. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So the plan is, yeah, we'll probably go out, probably take the mission crossbow and try to make something happen. But I got to go do some scouting beforehand. Yeah. Which is kind of fun because it also helps daddy maybe kill a bird. Too. No doubt. So awesome. That's the, well, that's hope, the hunting plans right now. Good luck if you do. Thank you. Hopefully we have some stories here. <laughs> yeah. Some good ones. <laughs> yeah. And, and I should say, <clears throat> excuse me, we've got our friends from Analogics coming up on a show maybe next week. Well, and Chris Parrish too, right? We mentioned Chris here in the, the show, but Chris is coming on the podcast here soon. We're, we're carpet bombing everyone with shows. Listen, while we're on a heater, we're going to roll with it. Mm-hmm. I, honestly, that's feedback. If anybody's still listening, that I'd love to have. What, if you like the cadence of two episodes a week, or back to one a week, or I'd love to hear from the audience, hear from the Rack Packers, and see what they like. Yeah, let us know. Um, also, we'd like to get to a thousand members in the Rack Pack. ASAP. We're climbing. We're getting there. Yeah, I think we could do it by the end of this month. Dang. I know. I, I think we could get there by the end of turkey season, for sure. We'll get there if our friends in the Rack Pack will invite more members in and share the show with other people. Yeah. People who like dumb things. So, <laughs> I don't want anybody listening or watching this show that's going to expect a lot out of us. That one boy said a swear word. That that person either. We don't need <laughs> him or her. <laughs> so. The cold open for last week's show was uh, your uh, turd burglar from... <laughs> from <laughs> <laughs> from the neighbor's property. <laughs> I thought, like, that's going to be an immediate filter for a lot of people. Yeah. That, that'll, either you're into it or you're not. <laughs> right. Stealing our Get cow you pies. a bunch of that. Man, it took, there was a lot of times in this podcast, right, where I the, I wanted to hit the that's what she said button, but I oh, held you off did, of it. Yeah. Yeah. I can see your, I mean, there were a few times you were biting your lip, <laughs> trying not to let it out. Like holding myself back. <laughs> it could be worse. We could be more immature than we are. I don't know how, but mm-hmm. we could. Yeah, we're fighting. All right. All right, let's, let's end sh- it. Shut her down. Until next time. Peace out. See ya. Temperatures are going to be dropping. Perfect conditions for the skinny. Field. I got to focus on those afternoon hunts. Northwest Tree Stand, 5 p.m. It's the easiest decision you'll make this season. Get ahead of your game with DeerCast.